This is Lost in the Groove. And I'm Mike. I'm Dave. We hippies have come together to spark change. So together, we give you our society and culture podcast. So with that, let's get funky and let the intro music play, baby. So we are here today uh, continuing the humanitarian work, and there's so many different ways of viewing what is humanitarian work, and I know me and Mike have discussed that so many times. Today, we have a guest. His name is David, and we're going to dive deep in sustainability. You know, we as people have lived on this planet for, fuck, way too long. Way, 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 way too long. And I think it's about time we, uh, we actually realize how much this planet actually means. Because there's a lot. There's a lot to learn. There's a lot to experience. Without further ado, David, uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Tell us a little about, about yourself, your work. Yeah, I have, uh, I've had a lifelong, um, oh, I guess, drive to help uh, explain and uh, come to um, resolve uh, with others about the idea of exactly what you're talking about, Dave, and that is, what, what are we as a species? And I, it's, I've been uh, commenting in the last week or so that we really, the, this beleaguered, beloved planet of ours really needs humans who are either dumber or smarter. And uh, it seems like this middle place right now, we're all confused. And, uh, you know, I think in terms of if we can take these incredibly uh, smart telescopes and peer back to the very beginning of the universe, but we can't figure out a way to respect and honor and work with our forests and our fellow species, then we're, we're not hitting it in terms of, of realizing, like you say, what we have here on this little planet I think it doesn't necessarily mean that we haven't been on other planets before as, you know, living things, uh, but we're here now and we're goofing up in the fact that uh, we're, we're not seeing what we have, the value of what is really here. We're treating people very poorly. We're, we're um, uh, stuck in an old paradigm of conquer and uh, consume. So I've been a salesperson for sustainability for many years. Uh, written about 10 books or so, 10 or 11 books. One, the last one is a novel uh, because I'm trying to get to the idea that um, it really isn't going to be facts that create massive change. It's going to be emotions uh, like converting our shame into a collective pride. It's going to be emotions like uh, a sense of uh, the courageous that we're doing something that really matters, that has a meaning yeah. and purpose. It's, and that's how we're going to create sustainability. Yeah, and it, it, it's so true because if you look throughout history, and I talk about this all the time, we tend to say, ah, you know, we screwed up and we haven't really moved that far. But the progress that we have made, I'm not talking about corporations, I'm not talking about the, the change of conglomerate and substance that we have, I'm talking about people the way that we think the way that people have been able to live. We used to live in a world where hierarchy had everything and everybody else would starve, live in filth and die at 30, or if they're lucky, make it to 45. But the times have changed. 
we as people don't realize we have a lot of power. We have a lot of power. We control corporations because without us, they don't have workers. They control farms. We control farms because guess what? If we don't work the farms, the corporations don't have any farmers. We run the show. We're just trained not to think that way. I agree with what you're saying. I think the story that we're telling is one that's is not serving us. The story we're telling is of an, of an industrial runaway civilization uh, that is collapsing as we watch. And I think if we begin to re-empower ourselves, we'll, we'll realize that we can tell a much kinder, much uh, more con- uh, constructive story, which uh, I, I think of in terms of we don't want to be talking about deadlines and dying species. We're done with that. Let's talk about lifelines and living wealth. Let's talk about what we can do, what we are doing, and, uh, and move forward from that. Because like you said, unless we empower ourselves, unless we wake up, in, in our case, from the American dream, we're not going to make it happen. But I, um, I refuse to think along those lines. I, people ask me, am I uh, hopeful or optimistic? And I say, for the most part, yes, because I, I know uh, how strong nature is, and we're just a little part of nature, and we can, we can be part of that power. Uh, but when, when hope and optimism uh, fail, if, if things can, can tend to be kind of ganging up on us, as they are right now, then we use willpower. Then we move forward with willpower because we're not willing to let the thing go down. We've done it many times before. Errors have come and gone, and ours is, uh, is ripe for recycling. And that's what we need to do. We need to uh, grasp the idea that a moderate society where everyone has roughly the same amount of stuff, the same amount of power, the same amount of zest for living, uh, then that's that's how we're going to move forward collectively. Do you you agree with me? I do. It's it's just... um... It's a lot to soak in because, you know, me, myself, I'm not going to lie. I, I, I throw away trash like, like most people, but there are certain things I won't do. Uh, you know, I, I try to recycle. I know that the recycling program is, is a joke. I live in Florida. I mean, for fucking Christ's sakes, it's full of Republicans and their idea of recycling is a shit show of shaking hands and drinking champagne on a yacht in Miami and calling it a day. But that's just me. So I try to do my part, and I say to myself, what I'm doing, it may me not be a lot. It may be me not buying plastic utensils and plastic dishes, but I'm one of those people that's not supporting it. It's a little, you know, a little part, but that's what it takes, right? Is you know you trying to do your best. You don't have to be perfect. Just try to do what you can, and then work to see what you can do better. I agree, and I think if we can't personally, let's say we're in a wheelchair, we can't really do that much. We can support people who can do it, and um, I think that's where where it comes into the. It has to come into the politics, but I I believe that culture precedes politics. That if we create the way we're doing it right here, right now, and around the dinner table and out in the garden today with my fellow gardeners, 
Um, if we create a, a better story and we tell each other some of the good news, we tell each other the, you know, the, the, the story behind some of the bad stuff and how we're going to make that better, then we can move forward. But I think it, it can't be done individually. I don't think we do have, although we do have the, um, like you said, we, we own the, the uh, you know, the corporations in a certain sense. Still, I, I, um, I'm, I'm seeing that, for example, the Department of Labor says that each uh, house is a consumer unit. Now, you know, that's what they call us because our households are what, what they hope we're going to spend a lot of money, you know, protecting and buying and outfitting and so forth. Uh, so shouldn't that, uh, could the idea that we're a consumer unit or even that we're a consumer incite uh, rebellion rather than stampedes on Black Friday? I mean, it's just that we need, I think we're really not getting mad enough. I think we, we really need to uh, use this, uh, this sense of, oh, I don't know, of anger that many of, most of us are feeling at this point. And we need to say, how do we convert that? Uh, I'm an amateur musician and I know when I get up on the stage, I can kind of convert this anxiety I'm feeling into something that, uh, you know, lets me express myself. And, um, and so I, I think that we have to work collectively to create a new story. And I, I have a, a, three, uh, a three point recovery strategy, you know, the uh, recovery uh, 12 point uh, steps and this kind of thing, uh, get, get involved. But what if we had a, a, what if we began to think about a three step uh, process in which we, honest to God, do admit that we're in an existential crisis. This, we're not just kidding. It's not just uh, press. It, this really is true. And that we need to take action right now. And um, in the sense of a recovery process, how, what do we do then? We get together collectively in active groups, you know, uh, whether that's online, whether it's wherever, but we, we seek the support that we need to get and give. And uh, then thirdly, we create a new identity. And I have an example, if you're interested in hearing uh, the one I like to use about Japan. Um, sure. in, in the 16th century, uh, through about 1850, or, I'm sorry, let's, let's get back to, uh, in the 17th century, 1600, through about 1850, you know, so-called Tokugawa mm -hmm. period of Japan, and, and the, uh, the shoguns were in charge. When they, had the and, four when they had the four governments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, at that point in time, uh, they realized, well, we've run out of material goods. We're not really seagoing and at this point. We really need to look at a different story. And the shoguns were, uh, happened to be somewhat benign. They said, we need to protect our forests. We need to protect our waterways. We need to be looking at this in a different way because we can't rely on materialism anymore at this point in time. And so they then began to substitute culture for material wealth, culture and nature. And I really, I'm a firm believer that those are the only two forms of wealth that we have. And, and so they began to uh, perfect the uh, tea ceremony and martial arts and uh, literature. And uh, it was a high cultural period and, and they came through it very, very nicely. And uh, a lot, the remnants of what they were thinking then are still with us. There's a phrase in Japanese uh, language, uh, montainai. And that means, don't you dare waste anything. 
And if you look at bonsai, for example, that, that is a, an artifact uh, showing that we respect nature and that we have each actually even revere nature. And personally, I think if we are to be, uh, if we can move forward with this humanitarian um, uh, direction that you're talking about, we really need to um, put religion and science and nature together in a, in a package that can en enable us to ritualize the, uh, the fact that the earth is a sacred garden. That sounds woo-woo, you know, but the fact the is- garden of, It's the Garden of Eden. That we're, uh, yeah, we re reinvent the Garden of Eden where we're innocent again. <laughs> no, but it, it's, um, I'll, I'll say it afterwards. It's very interesting. I think I've told you this, Mike, uh, the story of where the Garden of Eden comes from. Did I ever tell you? I don't think so. I don't think we've ever had that conversation. Um, but you'll have to tell me. Yeah. Hopefully at the end of this. But um, the you know the efforts that we have in place are not enough, and it's obvious. You were saying that we you know we ought to be angrier than we are, but unfortunately, we just happen to be much more distracted uh, than anything else. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, we just as they the saying goes, we don't realize what we had until it's gone. Unfortunately, um, what we're talking about being gone is the um, is the ability to uh, actually survive on the planet. I mean, we've seen many iterations over the um, years of that future might look like if um, we continue to be reckless, uh, and it's not really pretty um, for for anybody. On the planet, and the it's a, it is a rather important question to really consider what would it take. Your three point strategy is um, really interesting. It's it's an interesting approach, uh, but very real uh, approach. Uh, but as a society, you know, as a uh, as a species, something does need to happen. And you know what we what we've heard over the years is uh, simple. Um, from all everybody within the scientific community, we needed to do something yesterday. But here we are. We continue moving forward on a uh, very slow trajectory of um, change. Right. And, I agree. Yeah. And what we what we have as a result is um, force electric of, vehicles on people. Uh, sure. I mean, depending on where you live, sure. Right. We, it's insane. But it's insane. People don't realize that the environmental damage relating to mining the lithium in itself has implications. It's horrifying. Um, it, it's um, the energy does have to come from somewhere. Yeah. Someday, you know, this is why I, I, I've always been curious about zero point energy. Um, but uh, actually getting there is uh, going to be rather difficult. It's probably centuries away until we can understand the um, the the basic essence of energy in our environment well if we go according to star trek that would be the year 22 <laughs> 22 don't call me on this 2257 yeah you know i would like at this point i'd like to um, quote a gary snyder poem uh gary snyder is a is a nature-based poet he was a beat poet and um, he wrote a, a poem called uh, for the children and this excerpt is one that I, I'd like to pull up just in terms of the poignancy of it. He says, in the next century, or the one beyond that, they say, are valleys, pastures. We can meet there in peace if we make it. 
to climb these coming crests, one word to you, to you and your children. Stay together, learn the flowers, go light. Now he's saying we're not gonna make it, essentially. He's, not, he's saying we're not gonna make it right now, but he's giving us the, the, weapon, the, the tools, not the, I shouldn't say the weapons, the tools that we need. And that is, you know, learn about nature, stay together as, as people, and go light. And that, that in particular is what I've, uh, I've written four or five books about, really. It boils down to we're consuming too, there's too many people consuming too much stuff. Almost and, all the time. And, uh, and yeah. new products every single day in the associated right. packaging. You, you know, I, I've told this to Mike. See, I'm one person that grew up in the very last generation before the boom of tech, which was around 2010. You know, I was born in the late 90s. I was born 1999. And by the time that I was already a teenager, I started to see the change. I remember what it was very uncommon for people to have cell phones. I remember when it was uncommon to people to have internet in right. the house. We had dial-up. I remember these things. I know what a world looks like when we had less substance. We all can remember that. You have to remember, there are people right now kids that don't remember a world like that that's a very scary thought they don't know what it is to be in a world where you it takes more effort to enjoy what you have but that's you know but you know that's uh that's on the parents too and and uh, even parents who do remember those times just uh get get really consumed in uh uh, distracted with um, all the pleasures of these gadgets and the constant stimulation. But, you know, if the if parents were willing to take more time and get their kids back to the basics, um, there could be an appreciation for that. Uh, there, there's no escaping a lot of these tools. I mean, they're useful. All of these things. Look at what yeah. we're doing today. Incredi- uh, incredible. Um, but it should, you know, the acceleration towards more technology and more integration and um, is really uh, a concern for that next generation. At least they should be concerned. They don't realize it yet uh, that it will be a problem. The human element is uh, being extracted from, uh, you know, from the interactions of uh, one-on-one and, and so forth. Uh, You know, sustainability of something like this, really does need um, a huge movement. And I think it's been ramping up. It's been ramping up for a while. I mean, the next, uh, we don't know if we have another 50 years, but if we did, by that time, I mean, um, the, uh, I feel like it would, it would be full immersion, you know, a, a whole new direction for the planet. Um, you know, there was a, uh, I think a French or Italian um uh, I can't, he was a scientist of some sort, but in the seventies, he was um, quoted saying uh, the earth should be on a different type of e- economic system. One based are you, on, are you talking about Jacques Gusteau? N- no, no, no. This was someone else. This was, someone he, was else. he was a scientist and this, you sure it's not, I, I don't think maybe, it was, the maybe same. I'm thinking of somebody else. I think you're talking, I think it's Jacques Gusteau. It, you know, it could have been, but maybe know. a different time period. Um, the name sounds good, though. Let's say, let's say, no, 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 is, no. Right? I mean, like but, he was around in the seventies. But 
the point being is if we just paid more attention to the resources we have, turn it into a resource-based economy where um, things are manufactured really well to last, like they did, you know, 30, 40 years ago, um, we would be able to save a lot of uh, the issues that we're experiencing. So less waste, you know, um, things just built really, really well. I, uh, that was then. Uh, um, considering how long, how much time has passed since uh, uh, such an idea was presented to the world, um, nobody listened. But it makes sense. It's going to make a lot of sense when things start running out. And, you know, you, you were saying, uh, uh, David, um, that um, uh, people really don't understand what they have. Uh, and when it's gone, maybe it'll be noticed. But it's generally, I feel like the fact that um, pain, our species learns from pain, going through the pain of uh, really bad crops or no crops because it doesn't rain or bad soil, um, you name it, right? Uh, those are lessons that uh, generally kind of steer uh, the change in the culture to really kind of um, be more considerate. Forgive me. I went on a little too long there. Well, you're, say, you're saying some pretty uh, things that are full of a lot of uh, meaning. And, and I wanted to talk about somebody that I have always thought of as a hero, Danella Meadows. Maybe you know that name. She and her companions at the Club of Rome wrote a book in the 70s called Beyond the Limits. And then later, uh, 30 years later, they wrote a book called Be. Uh, the first book was called Limits to Growth, and then the later one was called Beyond the Limits. And they had done uh, computer uh, analyses uh, to the extent if this population stays what, what it is now and grows, if, um, in fact, we, we consume at an even higher rate, it is going to fall apart. Sorry, that's, that's what we're saying. And people didn't listen to that well enough. They also didn't listen to a scientist in the 70s called uh, Paul, whose name was Paul Ehrlich, who wrote a book called The Population Bomb. And he said, you know, same thing, a projection. If in fact, the population continues to rise and we consume at the same level using uh, destructive technologies, then we're gonna be in big trouble. Now, uh, Danella Meadows, the person that I'm talking about was also a brilliant uh, physicist, a physicist humanitarian. I, I suggest looking her up. And the point I want to make about her work is she was also very keen on the idea of paradigms, that we get, we, in some cases, we get stuck in a paradigm, but that paradigms can, can pop and all of a sudden, you, everybody, we get a, like a, um, you know, a sufficient population to just turn the, turn the corner and it can happen instantly. So yeah, think, think about, uh, we were talking about this in the last podcast, think about 69. I always say this, 1969 was the year that was that pop. All of a sudden, you had a bunch of people that, like, we landed on the moon. And then all of a sudden, the first time in history, 500,000, over 500,000 people show up at a festival. You know, and you have this movement of literally thousands of people protesting against Vietnam. These were, this was insane. People were like, what the hell is going on? That's right. Mm -hmm. that pop it's it's again it's just it's such a realistic idea because it is real it's based on fact 
It is, it is reaching a, um, I'm trying to think on the, uh, uh, you know, um, a certain limit. I can't think of the term right off, but it's the idea that we're queued up uh, to be turning that corner and it's just gonna take all, you know what's gonna take? It's gonna take 20% of a global population who believes strongly, not only that we have a problem, but that we, have, we can do something about it. And the 20% will, will lead the 80% to that pop in, in our paradigm. And all of a sudden, oh, geez, we're doing it a different way now. And, yeah. and, and so it's almost like skipping down the yellow brick road. I mean, all of a sudden, we're, we're out of the woods. And, and so I do, I do have a sense of optimism in a certain way that, my God, we are strong enough to do it. Now, uh, let's, so let's do it. You know, let's let's uh, moderate our culture and let's focus on not the things that we want, but the things that we need, because we assume that since we're going for these wants, we've already accomplished the needs, but we have not. And uh, so that that's one thing that's going to enable us to turn the corner. We're going to say, whoops, you know, we, we're I'm lonely. You yeah. know, I'm uh, I don't feel like I belong in the group. You know, status is is really uh, one of the strongest words in in our whole human history. We want to belong. We want to be respected. Uh, but we've been in the last 40 years, we've been giving that uh, the tool for being respected what we own. And instead, why can't we become uh, rewarded or given status for being kind to people, for being people of service? Uh, for being people who are going to take that extra time to lead a child to nature so that they can understand it. Um, that is what's going to turn the corner. When we all of a sudden we, we say, wait a second, are we successful? Successfully what? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, being a billionaire doesn't matter to us anymore. And we can very uh, convincingly look at the Danish culture, for example. In, in Den Denmark, they have arranged a social infrastructure that says, huh, what do people need? And people need uh, a sense that their, their children are being taken care of. They need a sense that their own health is going to be taken care of. Which is they incredible. Their health insurance, their health plan. Oh, my God. Their health yeah. program out there. I don't know if you know this. and People should know this. Netherlands has the highest rated health marks than any other country on the planet. People are in their 80s there and have less diseases than people here in the U.S. That's right. And, and so it's they've incredible. actually arranged what it takes. And they always rank, you know, Sweden, Denmark, uh, the Netherlands. These, these countries always rank highest on the happiness scale. So uh, many of my colleagues are, are saying, why don't we base our economy on happiness rather than, uh, you know, this whole thing about acquisition? Yeah. And I think we're on the verge of saying, OK, let's do it then. Because if that 20% leads the way and says, you know what, I'm driving an old car. I, I don't really care about that. What I care about is being together with people that I know and trust and respect. You know, that's what's important to me. And if I go on a vacation, I don't want to go on some vacation where I'm in some fancy little com compound where we get a drink, you know, three times a day or whatever. I want to go to a place and have a vacation where I'm learning about the culture. And I want to go to a place where I'm, I'm learning about the natural systems that are around. You know, yeah. it, it's, and it's a different way of looking at things. And this, in terms of the 20%, there is a, a movement of people uh, that uh, Paul Ray has called cultural creatives. 
and cultural creators are, are this, this kind of person that is authentic, that doesn't lie to people, that really would rather read than, than watch some uh, disaster movie or something. They'd really get rather get to the essence of something. And that's said to be 40% of the American and the European population. So that is what's queuing up to carry us to this new place. Because if we start showing that we're, we're happy, we're leading a moderate life, we're going for the real stuff, then the rest of them are going to follow us. Naturally I wanna, so. Yeah. I want to tell you, uh, go ahead and have, with your comments. And then I wanted to tell you about the, the neighborhood that I live in that meets my needs. It's a... Go ahead. It, it is naturally so that um, uh, others would follow. I mean, uh, they're going to look and say, gosh, what are they doing right? Um, we, we want that for ourselves, too. And you're, you're absolutely correct when you talk about um, having to make that change in, uh, in a general attitude sense. Um, when you reflect on what is necessary, what, what is necessary to live a uh, happy, fulfilled life, um, yeah. Much of what is now kind of uh, social programming and has basically taken the population uh, hostage for a long time, um, you know, it, um, it, needs to, it needs to change. It needs to yeah. really take a back seat in order yeah. for uh, people to re- recognize that they don't need stuff to be happy. And it is no. a, a temporary happiness that they're, uh, that they're gaining. Um, and not too far long, it's it's gone, and they're looking for that other dopamine hit. That's yeah. where there's a constant stimulation from social media, constant stimulation from every angle uh, ima- imaginable, uh, yeah. down down to the food you know that we eat. So ultimately, that is literally the thing that uh, I believe um, Andrew Yang was talking about in 2016 during his uh, his campaign. Um, realizing that GDP being um, uh, being measured in the way that it is is not a smart way. This maybe a century ago it may have been, but it doesn't apply today. And he did suggest um, really considering the happiness of people, because then productivity goes up. Um, uh, you know, health improves. When you yeah. talk about the um, the um, the healthcare coverage in Denmark, that's really interesting. But uh, I feel like there are just some countries and their governments that won't accept uh, the um, the special interests like we do here. Uh, you know, so, some countries, yeah, they just they won't allow it. There's two things that come to mind, and it's actually two kind of stories. You know, I have a friend out in California, and I have a rule. Whenever I fly... I don't pay more than like a hundred, hundred and fifty bucks for a flight round trip in the United States. That's my rule. I don't, I don't spend that much. And I go out and I usually stay by a friend, and we'll go to cheap eats or something. We'll just kind of walk around, just explore the area. I have found that doing a vacation where you don't need a fancy flight, you just come with a simple suitcase with just simple clothes, you get on a plane. You go to meet people and you just explore your environment. Right. It's it's an incredible feeling. And the other point I wanted to make is I happen to have been the owner of a 78 uh, Volkswagen bus for about a year. There you go. Yeah. It was the coolest van I ever owned in my life. The thing was a, wasn't a was a rust bucket, but oh my God, that thing was slow as a turtle. 
It barely makes 60. It was loud. It was obnoxious. It was annoying and irritating. But it was the most incredible vehicle I ever had. And you know something? It didn't matter that it was old. What mattered is, is it got me from A to B. Fun, quirky, whatever you want to call it. And that's what a car is. It's all, but it's all those things. It makes the experience that much better, right? But the, but the thing is, a car is like a shoe, right? It could be old. It could be battered. It doesn't matter. You know, people replace their car every three, four years. I'm like, why do you need a new car? Well, because it has Apple CarPlay. Yeah. And, and I'm like, <laughs> I have a car stand and a radio, and I put my phone up, and I turn on the radio, and they're like, what's the matter with you? And I'm like, what else do you need? I have a steering wheel. I have a brake. I have a gas pedal. I'm That's happy. It. And that, that re- registers with me because I had two uh, Volvo station wagons, one after the other. And I, w- I would always tell people, yeah, it's got some dings, but it's rated as the safest car you can drive in. It is not the kind of a car that anybody's going to steal. It had this wonderful uh, array of windows so I could actually drag my futon into that uh, station wagon and go camping in it. Um, it just for I just for a variety of different reasons I thought that that's the kind of car that's the kind of value that I want. Uh, fairly good gas mileage, but like you said, it's just it's it's lovable. Why don't we want to Why don't we want to have a lovable uh, artifact rather than something that we're looking for status with? It's the same thing with a small house. If your house is small and yet it's it's um, it it has the sense of life in it, it has plants in it. It has um, a low, uh, you know, pay up mortgage payoff. Maybe your house is paid off if it's small. Uh, it has uh, objects in it that you like. It's easy to maintain. You're not spending a lot of money on a small house. It's big enough for the, for the number of people that are going to be in it. So that is a, is a very uh, down to earth way of looking at value and what we can head towards. And I, I don't think we're going to be doing without. It's more about doing within. We're not giving up the good life. We're getting back this idea of authenticity, of uh, feeling alive. You know, uh, God knows there's a lot of people who just do not feel a sense of hope in this world. And if they would just join some groups, if they would just get into their own passions, if they would not be so busy thinking that the world's going to end, because that's not doing us any good. If we if we go along yeah. with the idea that we're not going to make it, we won't make it. So, yeah. right. Uh, can I gab on here just a little bit? I, I um, in 1995 or 1994, I joined a group, a co-housing group that was going to build uh, our own neighborhood, and um, and we began to, as a group of six people, we found the property that we wanted to live on. We uh, arranged to have a uh, developer come in and help us raise the money. In the meantime, we each put in ten thousand dollars. We stair stepped we built our own neighborhood and we've been, I've been living there now for 26 years. And, and I, the reason why I think it's important that people realize uh, that their neighborhoods uh, have value is that some of the other, uh, you know, uh, ways that we, we use to get together our workplace church is faltering just a bit, you know, uh, there, there are the clubs that we've been, wanting to be part of. We haven't been able to meet successfully during the pandemic, but a neighborhood is where we can begin to redefine what we value. And, and in this case, it's 27 homes. It's 27, um, uh, you know, and more opinions. 
And we, we make decisions and run our neighborhood based on consensus. And believe it or not, that, you know, that's, that's a hard thing to do. But it's yeah. worked for 26 years. I mean, think about it. Get 27 people in 27 homes to agree on one thing. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. It's like having a bunch of Jews having lox and cream cheese on a Sunday morning. <laughs> That's yeah, it. Sorry. <laughs> we have done it. And, and part of the reason why we, we've done it is we have projects that we work on together. And we say, you know, okay, now next, uh, next meeting that we have, we have a, a meeting every month, is going to be a work party. And you, you wake up in the morning dreading the ideas. Oh, it's a work day. You know, I'd rather be doing almost anything. And then you get out there and you're working with your neighbors on something. You're, we, our neighborhood happens to be Southwestern style. It looks like Santa Fe. And so we have to be uh, coding the, uh, you know, the, the, these uh, front porch uh, posts that we have, and we have to be uh, weeding the garden and so forth. When we get out there and we start gabbing, we realize that, you know, this is this feels really good. And so I have a, a personal opinion that two things that I've been involved in are like mother's milk. They meet every need. One is neighborhood, and the second is garden. Both of those activities can make me, can drag me out of a, you know, a funk I might be in or something because I'm meeting my needs. So um, I really feel that, uh, and I, by the way, I think that any neighborhood anywhere could follow our formula uh, just by starting with the idea that, okay, so who, who are you? I'm, I'm Dave, and uh, uh, maybe we should get a sheet of, you know, a roster together who lives in the neighborhood. Maybe we could share our skills. Maybe we could begin to uh, count on each other to walk the dog. If we're can, out. can I can I ask you a favor? You want to yeah. talk to my neighbors because none of the neighbors I have in my building have anything to do with each other. <laughs> I live yeah. I live on a complex with over I I don't know like twenty buildings, and yeah. no one has anything to do with each other. You have it's, a common space outside. Is there, there's no uh, like park or anything? Yeah, and I, I get this. I, I did write a book uh, called Superbia, and when I when I bring some of these points up, people say, "Well, that guy's going to shoot me." <laughs> you know? So, but my, my point is, start simply. Start with somebody in, in the elevator or whatever, and say, "I got this idea. You know, maybe maybe we could begin to work together a little bit, or maybe we could have a potluck, and then maybe we could uh, figure out how to make our own lives a little happier." Because we're all living in the same place, both in space and time. You know what I mean? It's like we're all here. So why don't we work together and maybe that'll make us all feel better. And then the sourpuss, let him be sour. You know, if he doesn't want to join this ad hoc little group we have, that's fine. But um, I am urging people, I'm going back in my, in my material for Superbia, and I'm saying here's 30, 30 things you can do to work together in your neighborhood to, to create sustainability. And I'm willing to be the guy who, once again, who is the preacher, you know, who says, here's what you should do, uh, because I know it works. Like I said, we have uh, 27 years of success here. And I, there are, by the way, 160 co-housing communities in this country. It, uh, the idea originated in Denmark and is, is rampant throughout Europe. So it's a way of, you know, you, you'll never know if it's going to work until you, until you try it, even in your place. I, I would urge you to get two or three people and say, we're going to do it. We're going to do this thing. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that'd be nice. I mean, uh, I got a kitchen, I got a table and I got a patio. You know? yep. So, you know, it's so, 
it's so hard because you kind of feel we're, I said this before, the pandemic kind of taught us as humans something that we should have never learned. That's isolation. It's the one thing as a species, being over 400,000 years of Homo sapiens, we've never experienced. We've never experienced isolation because if we were isolated, we would have been like the Neanderthals and they died off. But we had that period of isolation and we've completely shifted. So what do we do with something like that? How do we cope with something we should have never seen? We come out of our houses one by one and we say, you know, uh, geez, you know, this is this has been kind of hard. Look at the people in Shanghai right now that lock in lockdown and they're starting to kind of rebel. I do think uh, and I want to go back uh, to something that you said earlier, the idea of how we've been distracted by this new technology, uh, which is incredible. It's ingenious. This this whole uh, computerized uh, era that we're in right now is incredible. But it also provides what I call a weapon of mass distraction. And, and I do think uh, add that to the pandemic isolation you're talking about. And that's why many people are feeling I might as well go out and do a mass shooting because, you know, this this sucks. And uh, but I think how we do it is we begin to uh, compare notes on how, how did you feel during the pandemic? And we're going to find that we all felt roughly the same that uh this this sucks and uh, i mean i felt a little i felt a little different yeah yeah because um whatever whatever i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about it i mean i've talked about it so many times but it's it's true we've all we've all suffered because of the pandemic yeah and we have reached into our technology to do what we're doing right now you know we've we've got reached out on the on the internet, but I, you know, my, I tell my wife just about daily that I really think that the whole uh, uh, learning that we had to do in the last 30 years to try and keep up with an ever-changing technology has really drawn us away from what we really need to be looking at, which is, oh my God, there, you know, the, in addition to the world that's on the screen, there's a real world out there. and we, we really need to take care of it. And, uh, and so uh, it's a coming outside of not only our houses, but coming outside of our screens. Uh, you know, I'm as guilty as anyone else in terms of uh, relying on the computer, but I really think we need to challenge ourselves with periods where we say, I'm not going to look at this for a week. Because yeah. I do think it's dragging us down. I mean, I mean there's, a, there's an interesting, um, uh, there's, a, there, there's this interesting uh, thought of like what's going on in the matrix if you've ever watched those movies um it's very almost very similar so the machines destroyed the the world and then now use the people for fuel to to actually operate uh but what you see is that every individual in this matrix is just distracted with uh um some type of uh i guess you know false life that they're living Um, but uh, that's almost very similar to what we have. We're, we're so distracted and we're just, I mean, you just could following think- along that the world will crumble if we don't actually pay attention um, and, uh, and put in some effort behind it. And we would never even know that it happened because we would continue to be just as distracted. Mike, I mean, Mike, remember, we were talking about this other time, Meta, you know, Zuckerberg, uh, 
he created a metaverse. That's what he's working on. Yeah. In a way, it's the ultimate distraction. You can create whatever kind of fantasy you want, and you can live with, live in it. And well, you can also uh, you can also create the uh, the uh, and present to the world uh, a version of yourself that um, you happen to like better. Rather than actually improving on yourself and making yourself better in the real world, you create this representation of that in the metaverse. I mean, um, it's it's genius technology uh, in what it could do, but it's still uh, going to disconnect more people. How, how, how will it succeed? Will it gain enough users to survive? Who knows? But I hope not. I, who knows? Because I really hope so, not. Because that would that would be an end. I, I can tell to you, right a part now, of humanity. Google has released, you know, numerous products in in you know the many decades they've been in operation, and they'll you know they'll trial things and get rid of it because there's not enough users. So it, something like that could happen to uh, to Meta and whatever they're planning. But uh, you know, ultimately, I, I to ask uh, David a question like relating to creating such an awesome community of people um you know w- would you be able to provide a step-by-step uh, from a financial standpoint of like how would somebody be able to go about attempting something like this i'm personally curious too i've been thinking about exactly what you've been able to achieve for um, many years now the way i want to live and raise my family and my kids and just is totally different than what I experience here in the city. Um, any type of insight that you can provide would be great. I'm sure the listeners, anybody out there who is interested in a similar lifestyle might be asking the same thing. Like, how can I do this if I really wanted to? Right now it's challenging because everything's expensive. You know, we've had some people sell houses in the neighborhood and God, you know, they're tripling their, what they put into it. Uh, and there are, um, just in terms of the co-housing that I'm talking about, you could certainly go online and, and find out uh, opportunities that would exist. California does have uh, probably 15 co-housing or 20 co-housing wow. uh, communities. And it's the idea that, you know, I'm, I'm a, I guess I'd have to call myself a visionary, or at least I, I want to be visionary in the idea that I firmly believe that we have to want that community. And then we're going to figure out a way to go get it, and and or want that want this sustainable world, and before we figure out how we're going to go get it. So to meet your question, I would say do a little bit of research on, on co-housing intentional communities, uh, and and they're not uh, you know this we're not talking about uh, uh, you know the seventies uh, kind of uh, what am I what's the word I'm looking for? It's not commune. A, it's not a commune. It's a um, what I call a neighborhood on purpose or an intentional neighborhood. Uh, you could do this with a, a group of six people who wanted to uh, buy a house and, you know, provided you were able to, you know, have six people live in a house, you could do a cooperative uh, household. Um, you could also, uh, you know, join a larger group and maybe that group not only figures out how to live in, let's say, tiny houses, but also figures out a way to buy a house buy another house together. And that house is where you meet. Or maybe it's that you're uh, improving the park in your in your neighborhood, whatever kind of a neighborhood it is, you're working together to create a community garden. You, you have community put before you as an ideal. 
And yeah. by God, you can, you can figure out a way to do it if, in fact, that's your goal. Um, so affordability, I, I can't lie to you that, you know, that's, that's difficult right now. But just in terms of creating community, that does start with these, with these 30 steps that we talked about in Superbia, where uh, you begin to say, we want to work together. We want to share tools. We want to even create our own energy sources. Uh, so how would we do that? And um, right. going, going back in the history of our neighborhood, one very strong, very um, something that really stirred me was a um, scenario building kind of a thing. We were going to have a southwestern style neighborhood, and we said, uh, sitting on the living room on the living room floor of some one of our members, somebody said, "Well, in our visioning uh, process here, if I'm thinking about this neighborhood and what it's going to look like and feel like and smell like and sound like." I can hear a mission bell uh, tolling because this is a, you know, kind of a Santa Fe type community. And then somebody else uh, piped up and they said, well, damn, you know, my, uh, uh, my parents have a, uh, a big mission bell on the floor of their barn down in Southern Colorado, rural Colorado. So, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm wandering here, but the point I want to make is you have the idea, you're behind it and you begin to construct it. With because the team. I think I think most people are letting their lives be created, but if we're smart and we're part of that uh, 20% I'm talking about, or let's hope it's 30 or 40%, then we don't, we don't settle for letting our lives be created. We are, and that's what I meant by anger. It's, I, I read a very interesting essay the other day that talked about we need to be uh, disobedient. And we need to be, if we're consumers, then we need to be consumer disobedience. Because uh, we need to say, I don't want my life to be created. I'm going to create my own life. And I'm going to work with other people. And we're going to, together, we're going to uh, do what humans have always done. So I don't know. That, I don't know if that answers your question at all. I, but it, you know, I want to add on something on this. The other very big issue we have today is, is homelessness. A lot of people right. are homeless. I think, you know, the point that you're making, especially with, this community, these people coming together to create a neighborhood, isn't that the solution to homelessness? Is instead of, you know, putting these people in a position where they can't have a place to live, give them an opportunity of having their community. There are people exactly. that have issues, right? People have addictions, people that have been through trauma, but they have that community in a safe environment. And they already do have those communities. We see them on the streets and we, we, we say, oh, God, that's, that's awful. You know, we wouldn't trust those people. But then, you know, you talk to some of them and they are just people. And so uh, in Denver, there is a, a community of um, homeless people now living in tiny houses. Uh, because, you know, uh, some people on Denver City Council were bright enough to say, let's do exactly what you're talking about. Let's create a place where they can have a communal uh, dining place and communal, probably communal, uh, you know, uh, sanitary facilities and so forth. You you go there to, uh, you know, like a latrine kind of thing. But uh, it's created this thing where they can sit around and smoke a cigarette and say, uh, so what are you what are you thinking? Do you have a are you are you going to try to get a job? You know, they can talk to amongst themselves and create something that can make them not not trash, but treasures, which they are. You know, there are people who 
uh, haven't had a chance, you know, they, they uh, have hard times, whatever. Some of them even prefer it. Some people would rather be on the streets. As um, I've, I've seen those cases too. Um, they truly are happier with nothing. Um, and it's understandable. I've seen some and have spoken to um, where, you know, they had, a, they had the American dream and they just didn't want to keep up with it anymore. It became right. too, too burdensome all in itself. Uh, and then here, let's say in Los Angeles, we have a lot of uh, just people with issues, psychological issues. They need help. Uh, there, there are drug addiction um, cases as well that uh, uh, make it virtually impossible for people to bounce back. A great support system is needed, uh, one that goes beyond um, what we're doing now. And yeah, like, 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 like they are there. A lot of them are great people. A lot of them are really just genuinely sincere, great people. That's right. I agree. And you know, like uh, the whole thing where it's it's pretty horrible. There, there's this whole thing where uh, homelessness are the reason for drugs, for drug addictions, and all these problems. And I, you know, I'm from. I live in Florida and I'm from New York and two states that have this issue of where so homeless people can't get a housing unless they're clean. Mm-hmm. I don't know how different it is in California. It's the, it's the same, but you know, I, it's, I, it, it's pathetic. I, underst- I understand, it's, but I, but you know, I have to say that um, there needs to be substantial effort on even the, the on an individual's um, part, if they really want to get out of that situation. I understand that, but when you have somebody that, again, when you have people that are suffering, right? Right. All they need is just a bed to sleep on. Whatever the case may be. You know what? To work with, you know, to, this is the thing we forget about as humans is empathy. We have to remember that a person is in pain, right? If you, you take away their crack and say, no, you can't have this anymore. You have to go clean. All you're doing to them is saying, you are worthless. I'm taking away something that made you feel like something, made you feel right. better than than yourself. It, it 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 doesn't work. You're removing the humanity out of it. You're not helping homelessness. You're hurting people. Isn't isn't a large part of it that we don't extend the idea of family to anything wider than the people who are living in our own house? You know that sure that's our immediate family, but the idea and I love. You bring up empathy because that is that's what's missing. We don't understand that we're not just individuals. We are biologically, psychologically, sociologically a member of the group. Whether or not we're act, we're actualizing that, and I, you know, one one little talking point on that I've, I've been bringing up recently is if we're not, you know, if we if we think we're just an individual, then how do we come into the world as a duet? You know, we actually were, were in our mother's womb, you know, and all of us. And, and if we uh, want to take comfort in what we're going to do constructively, we should begin to see that all the world's species, all the world's people are part of this one little thing, this little dot. And, and we all need to work together because uh, we're never going to solve it otherwise. And I, I like I, I did a um, I'm, I'm a filmmaker in addition to a, a book author, and I did a, a film called Mega Cities. And the mega city we were we were focusing on was Los Angeles. 
And I saw so many different examples and we filmed and, and showed examples of how if you show a model of success and one that I want to, I'll, I'll mention two. Um, one was uh, George Singleton. I don't know if he's still around Los Angeles in the sustainability scene, but he, he gave, um, uh, what's the uh, term uh, I'm looking for? It's, it's like a capsule and it's made out of plants and it's um, spirulina. He gave spirulina to everyone in his school and all of a sudden they came to life. And a similar situation that we filmed was in, in Watts, uh, somebody had set up uh, El, El Puente, the bridge, and El Fuente made it, made it is. But in any case, it was a, pl a place of educating not only kids, but the adults too. And they began to fix up their landscape around their, their schoolyard. And all of a sudden, all, everybody in the surrounding neighborhoods did too. Because as soon as you start to, uh, you know, demonstrate a pride and, and, and a, you know, a sense that um, this, is, this feels better, then, then the rest of the neighborhoods uh, started doing it too. So I saw some, uh, as you've probably seen, I, I saw some fairly destitute people who were managing to um, have a sense of pride and start to pull themselves up, working together. That's, uh, that's, I would say, what's uh, oftentimes needed, I mean, um, and how uh, people in those situations um, are severely discriminated against, uh, whether it is try, um, trying to get into a job, but then they're screened and they, they got to get off the drugs or need uh, someplace to stay. But uh, the main factor that you just described is a, a key component to recovery is how to be a part of something that um, is bigger than them, that they're contributing something uh, to, a, uh, to a greater cause that's meaningful. Um, and that can be blocks to uh, kind of re-entry into society and everyday life. It's, um, it's a di it's difficult road and everybody walks it a little differently from each other, but um, uh, the goal should be the same. I've seen some pretty moving uh, stories on uh, PBS and so forth about people coming out of prison. And I've seen stories of people coming out of prison knowing that they were innocent the whole time, the whole 20 years. And, you know, you begin to think what, okay, empathy is, is something we're really striving to, to feel and to, and to actualize. Uh, humility is certainly something else that is uh, something we should aspire towards. Integrity is another thing. If we can begin to tell our personal story to ourselves and say, I told myself that I was going to, you know, write books. And, um, you know, so that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put aside some time. And, and uh, it, that's what just happened to me. I wrote my 10th or 11th book as a novel. And I, it took me five years to write it because I kept getting distracted and going working in the garden, which I love. And, um, and so it took me five years to write this novel. But I, I feel like um, I told myself I was going to do it, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. And if we if we hold each other's feet to the fire, then we can help ourselves be better because we can agree that that's something that's going to pull us up. If we tell ourselves we're going to do something, and 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 maybe we're homeless, but you know, then somebody gives us a room to stay in in a you know in a hotel or something, and we begin to say, I'm going to clean myself up, and I'm going to uh, go and, and get that job because they're going to see that I'm, I'm, I have integrity. 
uh, you know, maybe maybe it won't work, but uh, you know, they're going to tell a personal story that has pride. Yeah, I it I mean, David, it's wow. I mean, it's been it's been incredible. You know, there's there's really a lot to learn about sustainability, and there's so many different avenues. There's so many different aspects, and the coolest part is we get to be a part of that experience. Um, D- David, uh, I don't know if you sent me over the links. Um, if anybody could reach you, uh, anything you wanted to leave off with? Yeah, um, I uh, I did send you that link. At my uh, website is davewan.net, and I I am sort of I'll I'll confess to the idea that I am a Facebook uh, presenter anyway, and um, uh, so davewan.author or Dave Wan author and Dave Wan writer are two of my websites there. And I particularly like Instagram. I'm, uh, in that case, I am DaveWan.author. People, uh, if they want to get in touch with me, message me. I would welcome it. All right. Well, um, I'd like to personally thank you for coming on to the show. And uh, it's been a pleasure. So thanks. It's been a pleasure for me, too. And I'm, I'm sorry about my rambling when I get going. Uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> it's wonderful. Well, uh, thanks for inviting me. I've had a great time. Of course. Same here. Thank you, David. All right. Take care. You too. Bye-bye. All right, guys. We have reached that time in our podcast. This has been great. It has been fun, and we got lost in the groove. So stay tuned. Every Tuesday, be sure to check out a new episode of Lost in the Groove. It premieres about 2 a.m. in the morning. And our other channels, Sham Bam with Mike and Dave, which is our Patreon podcast, and our extra special, The Shindig Variety Show, our YouTube podcast. Links will be down in the description box so you can vote for what topic we cover next season and what other kind of content or new ideas and stuff we have to offer thank you guys so much for watching catch you guys in the next one